One February, my friend and OBC elder Todd Swift and I went to Navasbirsk, Siberia to teach at Navasbirsk Theological Seminary. Navasbirsk, where it's known to get to 60 below zero Fahrenheit, not wind chill. I don't know what we were thinking, but we were asked to go and teach an apologetics class. So maybe, as I recall, I don't remember all the details, 25 pastors in training, and uh, we were there for a week of intensive teaching, kind of teach all day long with translators and um, somber-faced men. You know, Russians think Americans are faking because we smile all the time. They only smile when they're actually happy. But when you're lecturing and you don't know these people, they look at you like they want to hurt you sometimes. <laughs> Starts to play with your mind and just very serious. And they ended up being very, very dear men, and we had a great time. But especially at first, it's, it's kind of tough going. Uh, we didn't have a very good translator at first, and so then the students started translating. And Anyway, Todd carried the day, not me, but I have a story to tell you about that. There are many stories. But one day, as I recall, a student wasn't there in the morning, and he came late or something like that. And other students came to us, and they told us the reason he wasn't there and he was going to be showing up late is because the night before, uh, he and his family's house burnt to the ground. And so he comes to class. Pretty amazing even there. And he comes to class. And so Todd or I, I don't remember the details, but said, you know, we wanted to pray for him and pray for his family and and this is through translators, and how can we do this, and what would you like us to pray for specifically? And he just said this. He said, job. You're like, what what don't I understand through translation here? And with that kind of stoic, serious, sober-minded Russian demeanor, job. He might have even beat on his chest. I'm not sure. Job. He just kept saying, job. And then it dawned on us. He was saying, Job. Yeah. Oh, Job. Job 121 says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a perspective. What a perspective. This morning what we're going to be doing is we're going to be in the New Testament book called 1 Peter. It's a small letter of five chapters, I believe. And it's at the end of the New Testament. And we call it a book of the Bible, but it was actually originally a letter. So if you have a Bible, you can look at 1 Peter. And 1 Peter is about perspective. It's about perspective. As I mentioned last week, uh, and if you weren't here, I'll just bring you up to speed. Uh, it's been called a discipleship manual for the Christian life. Uh, discipleship is when you're trained to do something. Uh, if you're discipled by someone for the Christian life, it would be a more mature Christian coming alongside of you, helping you know how to see things, how to act, how to live a life that would honor the Lord if you're a Christian. So it's been called a discipleship manual. Um, and that's because what we have in First Peter are these people who are called 
exiles, but they're also called elect. So they belong to God. God has chosen them. That's used in the Bible for belonging to God uh, by His grace. But they're also called exiles. They're people who don't belong. They don't belong in this world. This isn't their forever home, as we said last week. And what's going on is, uh, we'll, we'll study the whole letter, but what, what's going on is they're, they're suffering. They're suffering because of ordinary circumstances in life. They're suffering because of persecution. Uh, there's various trials. There's all the different things in life, all the different complexities of life that you face and that I face, common to the human race, but common to Christians. Because some of it was because they belonged to Christ and they weren't ashamed of that. And so what First Peter is, is a guide to help you. To help you, though you belong to God, and that's really good, and it seems like everything should be perfect then. This isn't heaven. And so we're called, as Christians, we're called exiles. Sometimes we're called strangers and aliens in First Peter. We'll get to that. So it's super helpful. Because here we're living our lives, but we're getting older and we face health challenges and we face relational challenges and we face all of these difficulties, not to mention then we belong to Christ and therefore we believe the gospel, therefore we believe Christian ethics because we belong to Jesus. And it becomes a rub sometimes. And so he doesn't want us to be confused. Bad things are happening not because God doesn't care for you, but because this is in heaven. And so that's what First Peter is about. It's a great little letter, a great little book. If I could teach what's taught in First Peter to everyone I knew, I would do it. So I am. <laughs> Just a great, great little letter. It's about perspective. It's not that God doesn't care about your here and now difficulties. He does. The Holy Spirit's been given to us. He's called the Comforter after all. We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We don't, we, we're not like people who say nothing bad is happening even when bad things are happening. He's not calling for that perspective. But he is calling for a perspective that helps you and helps me to realize this is not heaven. That comes later. And so we can live in the here and now for the honor of Christ with right perspective and even with joy. Okay? Joy is a bit different than just happiness because I can be very unhappy in my situation and yet I can have a right perspective and so there can be this greater kind of encouragement that comes and we call that joy. So that's what we're doing this morning. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 because last week we looked at verses 1 and 2. Um, and so we're going to look at 3 to 5 this morning. It's pretty straightforward. Don't really need an outline or anything like that. Uh, there's a... Well, I'll just leave it at that. So you ready? Did you guys all find 1 Peter? Okay. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to read that again. Notice there's an exclamation point. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our translators, at least the, one I'm, the translation I'm using, has an exclamation point and it seems fitting that that's there because it captures the idea. The first thing Peter does when he's trying to help Christians who need to have right perspective, the first thing he does is he says, bless God. Perspective. 
He's saying, this is what I do and this is what I want you to do. If you want to really be able to think right and have the right perspective on things amidst suffering and difficulty and all this stuff that goes on, he says, you start where you should start. Bless God. Might seem kind of odd. But this is the same thing the Apostle Paul says in chapter 1 of Ephesians. They no doubt learned this from Jesus. Ultimately, we're going to bless God through this whole thing. But notice, we learn why. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but then for the rest of what we're going to look at in 4 and 5, he unpacks all of these great things God has done for us that are eternal things that will last forever. And so he's starting off with, well, since God has taken care of your biggest problem and he's secured your eternal future, here's where we should start when we're trying to have perspective on suffering. Bless God! It comes from the Greek word where we get our word eulogy, where at a funeral you hear someone say good things about the person who died because they accomplished something because of their character, because of their convictions, or whatever it is. When you eulogize someone, you say things that are good about them. It actually comes from a word that means true. Sometimes we go to funerals and we hear things and we think, who who was that person? It's not the person I know. Well, with God, it's true. It's what He's done. It's because of His actions. It's because of who He is. We would want to say great things about God. We would eulogize God because of what He's done for us in Christ. That's the right perspective to have on things. And so Peter wants to start on that note. Bless God from the very, very beginning. No doubt he's trying to disciple He's trying to live by example. He's calling them to do this, but this would be what he's done amidst his suffering. Redirecting perspective. Then what's going to happen in the rest of our little section we're going to look at today? He's going to start unpacking the reasons why. But maybe even before we unpack the reasons why, before we go any further... I think we could even see the reasons why when we look at what he says right there. Blessed be the God and Father of our... Notice those words, those four, four words. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm really trying to slow us down here, but I can't help but notice some of the details. We could just jump ahead and he starts unpacking things. But he already is getting at the gist of the issue. Blessed be the God and Father of our, well, let's do it that way, our Lord Jesus Christ. If He's ours, okay, if Jesus is ours and God is His Father, then we're in a good spot. We're in a great spot. And so even in, even in using the simple language of naming who Jesus is, He's already had, there, this is reason enough to bless God. This is reason enough to say good, true things about God. This is reason enough, uh, by the way, another way to translate it, some do, praise God. But it seems blessed is a great one. Because He's our Lord. Think about, okay, He's our forever ruling, reigning King, unlike the persecuting kings. Our Lord. Jesus means God saves, so He's our forever ruling, reigning, forever just king who saves, 
Christ, oh, Messiah, long, pro, long ago promised, long awaited deliverer, rescuer, provider. Bless God, right? Here's a charismatic moment for you. Bless God, because He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have all of those amazing blessings in Christ, and Christ's relationship to the Father is a good relationship. That means our relationship is a good relationship. It's great. Tempted to just do half a verse. But that's just in, in kind of microscopic form what he's going to unpack. But for now, please see now and see throughout the whole thing. This is me wanting, wanting very much to be a pastor and, and a pastor as a helper, a shepherd, somebody who cares for. I'm trying to communicate to you a perspective. If your life's not hard today, it will be a different day. And if your life is super easy and awesome today, awesome, I've got the thing to tell you regardless of the spot you're in. If you're a Christian, bless God because He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really, really, that, that's just true, but it's really going to help you amidst the confusion and the chaos and the difficulty and the turmoil to have a friend come alongside like Peter and say, bless God, your biggest problem has been taken care of. You have a right relationship with the Father through the Son. And I don't mind telling you, and I'm just going to make it explicit, that's theology. Okay? Theology is the study of God and His ways. Okay? This is theological preaching. And I've been told to my face that people don't like and don't want theological preaching. So you guys must not got the memo or something. It's actually what is going to carry the day in your life. More than a pep rally. More than something else with lots of sugar coating. God has been kind and good to you through Christ. Bless God. Maybe easy for me to say, but you don't know my problems. This room is filled with problems. Bless God. This room is probably filled with joys. Bless God. I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's, there's perhaps nothing more practical in your life than this. Right perspective on what God has done for you in Christ and it's going to last forever and it's dealt with your biggest problem in life. And now the other stuff might be real, but it's doable. Okay, now let's move on. He talks about all these multifaceted, interconnected ways that God has worked for us in Christ. So it really is awesome. Look, how about verse 3? According to His great mercy. 
I can't help myself. I've got to stop there. He's done this according to His great mercy. Mercy is when God withholds what we deserve. So in one sense, we would say it's the opposite of condemnation. Or at least it, it's in, it would be in conflict. We're supposed to be condemned because if we sin and we rebel against God, God is just and we should be condemned. That's what everybody deserves. According to His great mercy, God has acted for you in Christ according to His great, extraordinary, grand mercy. He didn't give you what you deserve. And what do we hear? How do we think? We think, well, somebody tells us, you know, Pat... When you're going through something hard, you deserve better. The world is filled with voices that tell you when you're suffering and facing hard things, you deserve better. The reality is, from a spiritual perspective, on a cosmic level, I deserve condemnation, and according to His great mercy, He's given me good things in Christ. Deserve? I know some of you uh, are, are fond of saying to people when they say to you, and they're being nice, and they say, how are you today? And you say, better than I deserve. Smart mouths. <laughs> A bunch of theological smart mouths. I did it once this week. You know, and people don't know what that Sometimes it leads to an interesting conversation. The person at Hy-Vee didn't think it was very interesting. <laughs> they were just like mumbling and grumbling about it. But, you know, we're fishing for opportunities to talk about things. Deserve, according to His great mercy, deserve to shmerv. I don't want what I deserve. Bless God, because He's been greatly merciful to you. Isn't it interesting how Christians, and I don't mean... Cultural Christians, I mean like the real deal, interested in big and weighty things and understanding these things, they actually like to talk about sin. I mean, some of you are, are into this whole thing enough, it's one of your favorite topics. To study, not to do. <laughs> like we wanna, I want to learn about depravity. I want to know what the Bible... I have books, I have multiple books, countless books about depravity. Hamartiology, if you want to sound technical and fancy. The doctrine of sin, the reality of sin, the fall. But the reason is we actually want to understand because then we understand how great God's mercy has been to us and that ends up fueling praise. It fuels blessing to God. That's why Jesus talks so much about sin. At least one of the reasons why. Because we see how great our Savior is. God doesn't owe us anything positive. And yet He's shown us grand, amazing mercy. That's why we bless God no matter what's happening in our life. And again, I, I can't help but, but just pause and say, this, this does, not, does, not, does not mean when something tragic happens that I need you to come to me and say, suck it up, buttercup, right? I don't need you in my life if you're that person. Maybe sometimes. I mean, when you when you read the Psalms, for example, you 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 hear heartache, and anguish, and and difficulty. God help me, God why? This is not some sanitized. We're not computers. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. There's all the reality of the difficulty. We need uh, a comforter in the spirit, but nevertheless. It is true. 
my greatest problems have been taken care of and it should help me with perspective. So maybe in a nicer way, suck it up, buttercup. This is not heaven. What did you expect? By the way, the other day in a staff meeting, somebody talked about suck it up, buttercup, and, and somebody looked it up and they said, and at least the initial fine on suck it up was from like World War, I think one, I don't remember, World War I pilots, where they, if they would barf in their mask, <laughs> it would become toxic if you breathed it in. So you had to slurp it down. So, suck it up, buttercup. The buttercup part, I don't know where it came from. And that might not even be true, but it makes me like to sing even more. Google is an amazing thing. Where were we? Great mercy. Now let's go to the next aspect of this, this great salvation that is ours in Christ that helps us with perspective. Um, also in verse 3, it says, He, here's what we get excited about. This leads to blessing God. He has, this is talking about God, He has caused us to be born again. So there's more reason. God has caused us to be born again. That should lead us to say, bless God, eulogize God, say great things about God and to God, praise God. He's caused us to be born again. This is super important because remember, Jesus says in John chapter 3, unless you are born again a second time, everyone's born a first time naturally, but you must be born a second time spiritually. And Jesus taught in John chapter 3, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. So it's another way of saying becoming a Christian. It's a new, new, new creation, new birth. But it has to happen. And here Peter says, he has caused us to be born again. Well, if that's what's required and God has done it in our lives, this is reason for us to say, God is amazing, God is awesome, His mercy is great. He's caused me to be born again. It's, it's great. He'll say more about being born again in First Peter and we'll say more about it, so I don't want to give it all away here and we're already slowing down too much. But please at least notice for now, who the causer is, if that's a word. The causer is God. Lots of Christians, sincere Christians, lots of Christians, think that they've caused themselves to be born again. If I could just believe, then God rewards me with the new birth. And in fact, the reality is, and we'll say more about this, that's just going to be enough for now. The reality is, God is the causer. God has caused us to be born again. And this, by the way, helps us to learn a, th a thing or two about security. If I caused myself to be born again, I might uncause myself to be born again. God has caused us to be born again. We were dead in trespasses and sins. It reminds me of Ephesians 2. And He makes us alive together with Him. He caused us to be born again. Pretty amazing. It's what He's done. And what is it based upon? It's not based upon anything we do because He just got done talking about mercy. Skip that note about Arminianism. 
Skip that note, skip that note. Got to edit sometimes. If God has caused you to be born again, bless God. Even when what's happening to you isn't what you want to have happen to you. Bless God. He's caused you to be born again. The requirement for heaven has been done, (laughs) I love it, for you by God in Christ. Amazing. Amazing. He has caused us to be born again. But there's more to do with the new birth. Also in verse 3, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living, notice, born, born, there's the one word we saw, born, now living, now resurrection from the dead. This is great. This is what God has done. And He's done it through Christ. It's a living hope. What is hope? Hope, it's not like we typically say, I mean, I hope for a lot of things. I hope one of you wins the lottery, right? Because I don't play. But it'd be really nice. We could pay off the building. No. I, 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 I hope, right? I hope for lots of things. I hope for the success of particular candidates in politics. I, I hope that my kids grow up and, and have families and are happy and graduate. And, I mean, right? We hope for lots of things. But in the Bible, it's not a I hope so. In the Bible, hope is used as far as confidence. Confidence about the future. That's what hope would be in the Bible. In Christian hope. Confidence about the future. And here, our hope, it's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It's not an I hope so hope. It's a living hope. And notice why it's a confidence. It's a living hope. This being born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's a really, really hard question I've got to ask you. Is Jesus yet to be raised from the dead? Or has He already been raised from the dead? Really hard question. (laughs) It's not a hard question. I was just being... He's already been raised from the dead. It's already a historical reality, right? So that's already happened. So that's why we would say it is a living confidence about the future because it's grounded in a historical reality that's already been done. So here we have, God has caused you to be born again unto, it is, a living hope, a, an absolute confidence. An absolute confidence about the future for you that has to do with your life because of the absolute already been done bodily resurrection by none other than Jesus Christ. So I'm not just trying to play word games with you when I say hope. Well, you know, Christian hope is confidence, not I hope so. Actually, in context, it's, it's a dogmatic confidence because it's tied to something already done. If something's dogmatic, it means it's no longer up for debate. It's already done. It's already done. This is so good. This is, again, what what I wish someone would have discipled me with in my early Christian life. You know, discipleship for me was, here are these little cards with Bible verses. 
And when you look them up, they're used out of context. Um, <laughs> anyway, not always, but sometimes. And I'm thankful for Bible memory. I'm thankful for reading the Bible. I'm thankful for those things. But I'm also wanting to impress upon you, this isn't, these people weren't old Christians. Christianity is still new when this is written. In one sense, everybody was a new Christian. Let us help you to think clearly about perspective and it has to do with what God has done for you in Christ that can then help you. It can, it can hold you up, right? Like a life preserver amidst the turmoil and chaos. It will buoy you. It will hold you up so that you can see straight amidst the hard stuff and have joy along the way. We might just do one verse. <laughs> um, no, let's, let's, let's wrap this up and look at, see what it says in verse 4. It doesn't stop there. Born again, not just to what we just read about, but it's to an inheritance. Inheritances are great. I would recommend you get one if you can. <laughs> I've had two people close to me who have died and left money to, to us. Not a lot, but inheritances are nice. The problem is they don't last. <laughs> um, we got a new car that now that it when we got rid of it, it had over 200,000 miles, so it's probably in a junkyard some, somewhere. Um, we had a nice vacation, good memories. But I got a mint in my pocket. None of the inheritance is left. <laughs> Pockets are empty. Okay? So inheritances are awesome, but he's going to describe this inheritance that we have because we all understand an inheritance when somebody leaves you money or valuables or whatever it is. And now he's going to explain this inheritance you have is, is totally, totally different, right? We, we understand the concept. It's an inheritance, look at verse 4, that is imperishable. It can't perish. It can't run out. Undefiled, so it can't be corrupted. It can't be tainted by anything or anyone. It is unfading, so its, its value is maintained. It doesn't fade like things fade in the sun. It's ha, kept in heaven for you, so it can't be messed up. It has to do with security. It's out of your hands. It's out of other hands. It's kept in heaven for you, and we're going to see it's kept in heaven for you by Christ. So again, what do we do? This is fueling, bless God. Bless God. Verse 5, who? The born again ones. Who by God's power, not their own, not the archbishop's power or brother so-and-so or whoever, by God's power are being guarded. Present tense, are being guarded. It's, if you like grammar, it's present passive. So you're not the one guarding it. It is being guarded for you by Christ, uh, are being guarded through faith. And in this context of this book, it's faith in Christ. And faith, most of the time in the New Testament, is not a virtue because it's something you do. It's something you, you're, you're trusting in the virtuous one. You're relying on them to carry you. 
So he's the one guarding it, not you. It fits the context. It's awesome. He's saying if you're a Christian, you have faith in Christ. And if that's true, your eternal, forever lasting inheritance, eternal life inheritance is guarded, protected, kept. Nothing can touch it. And so when they hurt you, when they revile you, when they persecute you, when they say wrong things about you, whatever it might be, and all the other stuff, kept, protected, amazing inheritance, guarded. It's spiritual Fort Knox. Fort Knox. At least they used to store, I don't know if they do anymore, most of the gold of the United States, 5,000 tons at last count, behind a 22-ton door. The vault door locks using a combination, according to this article, entered by at least 10 different staff members, none knowing more than the other, uh, anything other than their own part of the code. And if you were able to get there, they're guarded by Apache helicopters, tanks, fences, guards, concrete-lined granite walls, and alarms surrounding all the facilities. In World War II, gold reserves were stored there for all kinds of different European nations. The Magna Carta was there. Declaration of Independence was there. The crown jewels of the United Kingdom were there. The U.S. Constitution was there. Just a few fun facts that have nothing to do with the Bible. Spiritual Fort Knox, right? A million times better than that. Guarded by the all-powerful, all-authoritative, resurrected one for you kept. I just made up a word, sawsome. Sawsome. It's super and awesome all at the same time. It is. And so when you're hurting and having a hard time, I won't say to you, I promise I won't say suck it up, buttercup. But at the very least, I'll be praying and maybe pastorally, maybe gently, maybe strongly if need be, you know, I'm thinking, please help her. Please help him to gain perspective. This is going to be a hard one. Life is going to be difficult. The situation is going to be difficult. Let's not pretend that it isn't. But because you've been blessed with what you need among all other things, bless God. Bless God. And what are we kept for? Let's end here. For a salvation ready, a deliverance, an ultimate deliverance is how it's used here. A deliverance, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This, this final, ultimate, climactic. This is like First John. When we see Him, we'll be made like Him. First uh, Peter emphasizes the return of Christ a lot, so he's already alluding to that. So it's notice it's ready... So it's not like um, we're wondering if it's actually going to work or not. No, it's ready. It's not waiting to see if you do enough work to gain your final justification like some false teachers say. It's ready. It's in heaven protected. It's ready. It's done. Because Christ's work is done, it's, it's done so it could be ready. Ready to be finished? No, 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 no. Ready to be revealed. Ready to, to be seen. But it's done. It's already done. It's totally taken care of. 
in the last time. No doubt referring to when Christ returns. Therefore, bless God. Therefore, I can have joy. Therefore, I can rejoice. Last Sunday, a friend of Omaha Bible Churches uh, was here visiting because uh, he has relatives in Lincoln. His name is Scott Clark. Um, he is a professor of historical theology at Westminster Seminary, California. You know, smart guy, okay? Um, but he likes to come to OBC when he's in town. Oxford, you know, doctorate, smart guy. So I was done preaching, and he was, he was nice, and he said, you know, that, that, thanks, Pat, that was great. Uh, you know, I just finished a commentary on First Peter. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so, anyway... Um, if you only knew some of the things I knew when I was preaching and I think about but I don't say but anyway I liked what he, he said we, we had a good discussion some of us in the back and, and he said you know First Peter we're back and forth talking about different things First Peter is all about eschatology okay, there's your big fancy word for the day First Peter is all about eschatology eschatology is, is the study of the end the coming of the end so if you talk about, is Christ coming back, you know, before the tribulation or after the tribulation, that, that's eschatology, okay? Um, when we die, um, we're in the presence of God. That's personal eschatology, the personal end. Okay, here's where I'm going with it. It actually was a great little one-sentence way to think about First Peter. It is all about eschatology. But here's what he means that we might not think of. Christ's work is already done. The end, therefore, is already actually secured and accomplished. See? We're just waiting for Him to return and bring about what we might call the consummation of all of these things. So the end has been determined, so we're now ready for the end. But this is not yet the end. A confused eschatology would say, this is the end. Why are you sick? Why are you being persecuted? Why are you suffering? Well, this isn't the end. This is in heaven. But the end is already secured, so it is ready to be revealed. Your personal eschatology, your personal end, has already been done and taken care of. God has caused you to be born again unto a living hope in Christ. And now it's a matter of it's being kept and it is ready and it's going to be revealed. This is what what gives us assurance and hope. Ah, boldness in life and in our Christian witness changes everything. We should pray now. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you that we have a living hope. Thank you that we can have confidence regarding the future. And even though we suffer in various different ways and face various kinds of difficulties, some that seem absolutely overwhelming, please encourage us to look to you and to look to what you've done for us 
and to look to Christ, who's our great high priest in heaven, who always claims us as his own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.